welcome to the After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Connects Education Academy. Our podcast is here to help teachers, leaders and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. Welcome back to the After the Bell podcast. Georgie here, Director of Learning and Development for the Classroom Partnership, and we're returning to focus on a new series of podcasts. I'm joined today by Andy Bridge, a current Deputy Head Teacher, and new Debbie Davis, Head Teacher of an Independent Special School and Experienced SENCO. Year on year, the number of students identified as having special educational needs and disabilities is increasing, and is currently around 15% of the overall school population. Nationally, outcomes for students with SEND are concerningly low, with the performance gap at the end of year 11 increasing over a number of years. It isn't just academic outcomes that are concerned, though. Research shows that the well-being of students with SEND are worrying, with these learners likely to be less happy and also less likely to progress on to further education or employment that students without SEND would. It is therefore crucial that whatever our role is in education, we take proactive steps to support students with SEND to thrive. So in this series, we look specifically at how teaching assistants can be deployed to have the biggest impact on students with SEND. And in this series, our focus remains on supporting students with SEND, but through a much broader lens, considering the ways we can all help. SEND in schools is a complex topic governed by many legal frameworks, policies, legislation and practices. Hopefully today's podcast will help to summarise some of the key language used in this field, consider why outcomes of students with SEND may differ and also consider key myths about SEND that as educators we should be aware of. So let's, without further ado, get started. Hi Andy, great to have you here. Hi Hi, Debbie. Hi. Lovely to have you both here again. So, um, Andy, we've got loads to cover today. So let's start by going right back to the basics and making sure we're all completely clear about what we mean by the term SEND. Yeah, of course. So I guess if we're going to define that term, we should look at the Code of Practice, uh, the SEND Code of Practice, and the definition that that document gives of what um, SEN is, is a child or young person who's got SEN, if they've got a learning difficulty or a disability, that calls for some kind of provision that is additional to or different from what generally other children within that mainstream school have. So yeah, I guess it, it's that that long term need where they need something extra, something different um, so that they can thrive academically. And this kind of definition in the Code of Practice links right back to the United, Nen- United Nations Convention on the Rights of a Child from 1989. So this is um, the idea that all pupils have got a right to an effective education, effective teaching, and that they should be able to fully participate in a school. So if for, a, for a child with SEND to do that, we might need to make some um, adjustments. We might need to find other ways to make sure that they're included and really value that diversity and the difference in our student population. And as you said in the introduction there, we're talking about 15% of all children having SEND. So you know it's a huge group of students and we need to make sure that we get this right especially because that number's getting bigger and bigger every year yeah it does sound like it's a crucial thing that really hasn't been sorted or resolved yet that we we need to focus on so thank you andy for that introduction 
You mentioned the code of practice, um, which we actually discussed in our last series. Can you just remind us exactly what that is as well? Yeah, so this is the, if you like, the Bible of SEND. It's the statutory guidance that all schools and organisations that work with um, children and young people with SEND need to follow. So in itself, it's not a legal document. Um, it, it's a guidance document, but it does refer to legal documents within it. So it takes a lot from the Equality Act 2010 and the Children and Families Act 2014. And therefore, it's really important that we do all follow it. And that's regardless if you're a primary school, a secondary school, special school, independent school, maintained school, we, we all need to follow that crucial policy. So we need staff to be aware of it, um, whether that's teaching staff, support staff, leaders, governors, everyone needs a really good understanding of that code of practice to make sure that what we're doing is actually legal and um, and it's the best that we can offer for those children, really. And I think it's relevant for any type of school setting, isn't it? So um, it's it's a really crucial policy policy that everybody needs to understand and, and adhere to. Definitely. Thank you, Andy. So Debbie, when we're talking about SEND, it is important that we use language carefully so that we're really clear with what we mean. Therefore, don't help to spread any myths about SEND. And of course, we definitely don't want to offend or upset anyone. Are there any things in particular we need to be aware of? Uh, yes, um, so we need to be careful with language as it changes so much over time. Many of the original terms used to describe particular types of send would now be deemed to be outdated, or even unacceptable or offensive or could really upset someone. The best way to avoid this is just to remain well read, but also if you aren't sure, just ask um, rather than use the term if you're unsure about it. In terms of the myths, the Education Endowment Foundation guidance on SEN in mainstream school advises us to be careful with two things in particular. So, so these are these are the two things that we need to be aware of. One, saying that pupils are SEND um, or SEND students. We shouldn't be using this as it implies that SEND is who the child actually is. Instead, we say students with SEND. As, um, as this is correctly identified, that um, at, at this time, the particular child has an additional need, but that it doesn't entirely define who they are. And secondly, in making sure we challenge the view that a child with SEND will always have SEND, it's important to remember that children's development isn't linear and their needs can change over time. Some students don't develop SEND until later in life and others are identified early, but after a few years no longer need to be classified as having SEND. Students come on and off the, the SEND register within schools, for example. By the end of year 11, 44% of students have been on the SEND register at some point, but on average, it's only 15% of all students who are ever on the list at any one time. That's quite incredible, isn't it? That nearly mm -hmm. half of students have been on the SEND register at, any, at some point. So that's quite a staggering figure. Um, and very, very key, I think, that we do not label any child with the, with the SEND status um, and define them. So uh, I think that's, that's a great sort of uh, approach now that's been introduced. That's really helpful. And, and Andy, what are the outcomes for SEND like in schools at the moment? Do they support the idea that students with SEND are 
getting all of the support they need? Um, unfortunately not, Georgie. So there is a, there's a massive achievement gap um, and there's been a lot of work done to try and close that gap that so far doesn't seem to have worked, sadly. Um, so if we look at average grades at GCSE, um, the average grade for a student with SEND is a grade two when we look at their attainment eight score compared to an average grade of a three for a student on free school meals and an average grade of a four, I think it's a 4.8, so almost a five for students who don't have SEND and they aren't on free school meals. So it's a massive, massive gap where nationwide across the country, students with SEND are, are leaving school with quite low outcomes. Um, so obviously, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. And some of that work, it, it's massive, it's multi-agency, it's complex work that lots of services need to coordinate between schools and educational psychologists and speech and language therapists and behaviour support services. It's massive, complex jigsaw. But equally, there's, there's specific things that just individual teachers and school leaders can decide that they're going to implement it in their school, in their classroom, which will also make a difference. And hopefully we can unpick some of those things in, in this episode and in this series. Yeah, hopefully we can focus on this in much more detail and, and come up with some strategies in the particular sort of areas. That is a massive achievement gap. It's it's actually really quite saddening that that exists. So it, it really is a priority for us to get right. The Education Endowment Foundation have made five recommendations for how schools can achieve this, Debbie. Can you talk us through these? Uh, of course, and, and that's that's right, Georgie. They they have made five key recommendations. Now, the fourth one is complement high quality teaching with carefully selected small group and one to one interventions. And the fifth one is make good use of teaching assistance. We focused on these two areas um, in the last series of After the Bell. So it probably makes more sense for us to focus on the recommendations one to three, which are the first one is to create a positive and supportive environment for all pupils without exception. Secondly, build on an ongoing holistic understanding of your pupils and their needs. And thirdly, ensure all pupils have access to high quality teaching. And that comes back to what we we're saying about every student needs to have access to a teacher at some time and not be with a TA all of the time, just having that high quality teaching, which will help them to make progress. Those recommendations sound really sensible and, and almost quite obvious, but um, that creation of a positive environment, understanding their needs and teaching them well is, is critical. Um, and that almost should be the foundation of, of all the school environments um, but I, I think there's greater emphasis needed on, on uh, the SEND situations. They sound quite straightforward um, enough but recommendations and, I, and I'm aware it probably is more complex than it sounds but it really will be useful for us to unpick some of these and actually focus on how we achieve these recommendations over the next few episodes so I'm really looking forward to unpacking those. Um, so Andy, what are your thoughts on, on how we're going to unpack those? Um, yeah, I'd completely agree with you. And we're working with um, big, complex organisations. We're working with human beings, you know, not robots. The children aren't robots. They've all got different needs and different ways to interpret things. We've got limitations on budget. We've got complex staffing issues. We've got families that all have different needs. So I think it'll be difficult in this podcast for us to say 
here are five things to do that will work that you know that will improve outcomes for all seven children in your school but what we can do is say actually here's what the research says let's have a look at what best practice is going on in schools and just try and present that in a really accessible way where actually people might be able to pick up a couple of tips where they can just go and try something different in the classroom and that's what we always hope these podcasts are going to be just sort of some quick tips and strategies and, and a, an alternative approach so that sounds great let's unpick this a lot further in the future episodes but just for now then if listeners are thinking about how they can best help students with send in their class what would be your top tips um, for me, I, I think I'd say just invest some time in, in reading the research, read the one page profiles that the SENCO will prepare or the HGP, speak to the SENCO and really think about what the child's individual needs are. Because I think only when you really understand the barriers to learning that that student faces, can you then really think about what strategies you're going to use and what you're going to put in place to help them make that great progress. Uh, absolutely. And I would agree. But just add that it's so important to speak to the child and ask them how you can help them. Often it's tempting to read lots, speak to other adults, speak to professionals, but forget that the centre of all this is the child. And it's crucial that we take their views and experiences on board. Hugely important. Keeping everything child centred is, is at the front of of all of our minds I think. Thank you both. We hope that this first podcast has been helpful to you in understanding SEND and getting you starting to think about why this is such an important issue for us to understand. And in our next podcast we're going to focus on that first Education Endowment Foundation recommendation about creating a positive environment for all students that allows them to thrive. Schools often describe themselves as inclusive, but what does that really mean and what does it look like when schools get this right? In our next podcast, we explore the culture and practices that need to be in place for all students, including those with SEN, to feel safe, secure and be able to thrive academically, personally and socially, something I think we're all striving for in education. You can pick up our After the Bell podcast, which are released on a weekly basis by quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things educational. You can access these on your daily commute, on your treadmill, as your focus for the day. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care.